I'll be reading from James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing it right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do, do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And then it would be helpful if you have uh, the outline in front of you uh, today. Many years ago, a, uh, a colleague of mine, a friend and colleague, told me a story about a church he attended while studying overseas. It was a sound Bible-believing church, um, mostly um, middle class in, in the content of the people who were there. At one time, though, a man joined the congregation who was obviously um, poor, let's say, economically and culturally, and his dress reflected that. His hair was sort of what we call, might call unkempt, although it's hard to tell these days the way people wear their hair, what's unkempt and what's not. Um, his, uh, his clothes were fairly raggy, etc. I can't remember what uh, my friend said his background was, but he, he had been uh, recently converted to Christ and was keen to be involved with his newly found family. Some months, some months went by, and then one day, to my friend's total surprise, the man turned up in a completely different attire. His hair was cut and groomed. He had a new suit of clothes that fitted in pretty much with the style of the people uh, the people wore in that congregation. Um, it was that very week, though, when he turned up like that, that the elders then asked him to read the Bible in the service the following Sunday. My friend commented that the, the man, you see, had actually worked out what needed to be done 
for him for him to be fully accepted in that church and be treated like others. The elders, in fact, probably unwittingly really, yet sadly, had discriminated against this brother in Christ based only on his social class. It's a story that captures, I think, uh, in a modern setting, something what James is talking about in that passage that was just read to us uh, today. James' teaching about what I've called faith and favouritism. Now, if you were here last week, you'll remember that in the second half of chapter 1, James set out his overall concern about true religion, that is, true allegiance to Jesus, what makes that genuine and real, and that it must manifest itself in action, both in terms of our speech and in terms of our deeds, what we do. <coughs> we saw that in our speech, we would be quick to listen, slow to speak, and particularly slow to get angry, making sure that we kept a tight rein on our tongues. And in our deeds, we were to be doers of the word, not just hearers, making sure we cared for the poor and vulnerable and keeping ourselves from the pollution of the world around us. What James does in the rest of his letter is effectively apply these overall principles in a very practical way to areas of concern, specific areas of concern uh, to the people he's writing to. And this first area he writes about is in the doing area, the issue of favouritism. Now James makes the basic point that he wants them to know in the very opening verse uh, of chapter 2. That is that favouritism really contradicts faith. In chapter 2 verse 1 he says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Now I think there's a definite contrast that uh, James is uh, implying here. It's not just you see that believers are not to show favouritism but rather believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Showing favouritism is being contrasted here in some way with the glory of Jesus. In other words for James favouritism automatically contradicts or denies the faith we profess in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now literally the text reads our Lord Jesus Christ of glory and if you looked at a few different translations you'll find some of them will um, differ slightly in the way they put it but most do it as the NIV does here in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. There's an emphasis then on Jesus' glory. Not just his majesty now <coughs> as the resurrected son of God but as the one who has revealed God's presence to us, God's character to us. Like uh, what is said in the opening chapter of John's Gospel, in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace. And truth. To believe in Jesus is to believe in the one who, though he was rich, became poor, took on human nature, died 
to human sin, that we might become rich and inherit the hope of the glory of God. The glory of God, says Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, has been revealed to us in the face of Jesus. <clears throat> to show favouritism then to those who have money or power or social standing is to court, to go after a glory that is totally other to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ revealed to us in his life, death and resurrection. As one writer says about this passage, as to how we accept others, we must ask how he would accept them. As to how we appraise others, we must ask how he appraises them. As to how to act towards others, we must ask how he would act towards them. Our values, priorities and activities must ever be governed by the dev definition of the true glory displayed in the person, conduct and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in order that we might, if you like, grasp this point more clearly <coughs> and more profoundly, James now adds four supporting arguments. You've got them in your outline. That fill out the nature of the glory um, of why favouritism is such a contradiction to it. And I want to look briefly at each one. First of all then, James makes a point that favouritism really perverts justice. Verse 2, suppose a man comes to you in your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but to the poor man, stand over there or, you know, sit on the floor beside my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The suppose at the beginning of verse 2 probably means that James is not really referring to a specific situation but illustrating his point um, of verse 1. And we should note that it's not easy actually to see what is the uh, situation that he's referring to. Is it a typical church meeting of some sort or a sort of a Christian court because there is a reference in verse 4 to becoming judges and later in verse 6 he will refer to the rich dragging the poor into court and some have thought we have here a sort of a Christian court or Jewish court setting. It's not easy to know though most still think what we have is a normal Christian assembly like ours. But I don't think ultimately it's necessary to know for certain what the situation is, since of course James is giving an illustration. <coughs> the evil of a favouritism that, that gives preferential treatment to the rich person over the poor person, that's what he's illustrating. It's a matter of justice, you see, as the reference to verse 4 uh, in verse 4, of becoming judge, judges with evil thoughts indicates. Justice demands, you see, the, tree, the equal treatment of people according to the same standards, not to different standards. Many writers have noted how prominent this is in the law of the Old Testament. One typical verse, for instance, Leviticus 19 verse 5 says, Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favouritism to the great. 
to judge your neighbour fairly. You see, favouritism perverts justice by discriminating among people based simply on their social class. The problem is not that the rich man was treated well. Nothing wrong with treating people well. The problem was that by directing the poor man to stand or to sit at his feet, the believers treated the poor man preferentially because of only the fact that he was poor. They discriminated among themselves. They formed divisions, groups, cliques. And that based on social class and wealth alone. Now, in the ancient world, um, this was uh, yeah, much more than our culture today. This was exactly the way the culture was set up. You see, there really was no middle class in the, in the ancient world. There was just the rich and the poor. And the gap between the two was massive. And in fact, most people were on the poor side. Uh, there. Something like, I think one writer said, 80% of people were in the sort of poor bracket, 20 in the more rich bracket. In the eyes of the rich, back then, the poor were virtually faceless people. Faceless people of little worth or significance. But the God who sent his son into the world to be humbled, die on a cross, for everyone alike, showed that there is no partiality with him, no discrimination at all, based simply on human circumstance. And so if we profess to believe in the glorious Son of God, neither must we. We must never treat each other here, friends, in this assembly, as if some are more important than others. For God made each one and treats all according to the same standards. Yet it's an extraordinarily easy thing to do, isn't it? To favour the talented, the attractive, the wealthy. And it's just as easy to avoid those who are different. Racially, in personality, or in background and social class. You know, right now, we're a young church. We just started this year. In a way, we all still need each other. <laughs> we keep going, survive, grow, etc. But as we grow, it will become easier to stick with our own and fail to reach out to others, especially those often rejected or ignored by our culture. Favouritism perverts justice by treating people differently in a way that God never does. And we need to be careful not to do the same. Well, the second supporting argument James mounts is really one based on the wisdom of their own experience of God. Favouritism not only perverts justice, it dishonours the very people that God honours. Verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you've dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? 
Now notice that James adds the word listen. In verse 1 he just says, my dear brothers and sisters. In this he says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters. This is more serious. And the reason is because I think James says it's such nonsense, such nonsense for a Christian to show favouritism to the haves of the world when they know that they have become Christians themselves precisely because God does not act in this way. The world honours the rich, the powerful, the social elite. But James says, you know that God has chosen the poor in the eyes of the world. You know the advertisement for fish that John West rejects makes John West the best. Fish that John West rejects makes John West the best. Well, if James is writing this ad, he might write, the fish that the world rejects are the very fish that God makes the best. The fish that the world rejects are the very fish that God makes into the best. I know I should have been a script writer, but <laughs> it, just, it just never happened. Favouritism, you see, is all about giving importance to the rich and powerful, largely for our benefit. Favouritism is essentially selfish, I think. We favour people because we hope to gain something. It might be money or it might be status, just being associated with people. It might also be protection. If we fear people, we favour them. Or it might be power. But God gives priority to those who can give nothing back. Those, in a sense, who suffer the most in a broken, corrupted world, the poor, the oppressed and the ordinary. What the world despises and can't be bothered with, God exalts to the high, pl high place. What the world crucified, God resurrected to bear the name above all names. In other words, what the world rejects, God exalts, giving the kingdom, James says, to the rich in faith. And in the end, the poor in the scriptures are not just the materially poor, but in Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, they're the poor in spirit. Also, the humble, those who recognise their spiritual poverty in the eyes of God. You know, the Apostle Paul made the same point to the Corinthian church, who was uh, beginning to divide around its leaders and who they thought was the best of the leaders in the Corinthian church. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 and 27, I'm sure words that you've heard before, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Friends, are we not in the same company as people that the apostle refers to. Who of us would claim in the eyes of the world to be considered wise, influential or of noble birth? I will remember many years ago when I was, it is many years ago, when I was at Macquarie University in Sydney 
doing an honours degree in accounting. Yes, I was an accountant before ever I trained for the Christian ministry. There were only a few of us. It was a pretty rare thing in those days. Um, one day I had a conversation with a woman who was probably considered the brightest um, of the bunch. I think she was the brightest of the bunch. About um, what she thought of Christians and Christianity. And she said to me, she thought Christians were people who believed what they did because they needed a crutch to rely on. It's a fairly common belief that people sometimes have. She, however, of course, was confident in her own ability and had no need of such a God crutch. Now, over the years, I've come across her name in uh, various ways in the business world. And um, she became, indeed, a very successful, powerful and influential woman in the business world. Just last week I heard her name again. She'd apparently just finished her term as chairperson of the Business Council of Australia. Highly esteemed. In her eyes, you see, I was somewhat poor needing God to lean on for support. And I'm sure that she wouldn't by now be very wealthy and highly esteemed by many. But you see, what James does is say, that's fine, but to whom has God given the kingdom? Well, he's given the kingdom the likes of me. Really, just a nobody. From a working class family. That would never figure on the world's radar. And I'm sure many of you could say exactly the same. Of the many that God has brought to Christ, God has particularly extended his grace to the poor in the eyes of the world. How utterly ridiculous then that we should in any way favour the rich, the powerful, the somebodies of our world and by so doing insult and dishonour the poor. To do it so is to automatically place ourselves on the side of the world and in opposition to the one who we claim to believe in. Moreover, James says in verses 6 and 7, was it not the rich who were currently exploiting them, dragging them into court, blaspheming the name of Jesus? Surely we as believers can commit no greater foolishness than to show favouritism to a class of people who nine times out of ten are responsible for the oppression and loss of the poor and vulnerable in our world today. And yet we find it so hard to do, don't we? It's so embedded in our DNA. Well, from the nature of justice and to the character of God, understood in their own experience of salvation, James proceeds to the third argument. It's a straightforward biblical argument this time. Favoritism sins against the royal law of love. Verse 8. 
If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet humbles, gets stumbled, at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. He who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Now the command to love your neighbour as yourself is the second of the two great commandments which Jesus taught us, summing up the whole Old Testament law. And it's probably called the royal law here because Jesus is really the king in God's kingdom. And so the command that Jesus gave is regarded as the king's law, the royal law, the most fundamental law of the kingdom of God when it comes to how we treat people. To show favouritism to some over others is simply to sin directly against this law. It's clear that unless something is dreadfully amiss, our natural bent is always to love and take care of ourselves. Or to put it another way, our natural bent is always to favourite ourselves. It should be clear, therefore, that to favour one neighbour in the way you treat them over another is to break the royal law, this royal law which Jesus himself gave. Now, we're not talking about feelings and affections here, friends, but actions. Feelings and affections for people may arise for all sorts of reasons. Personalities, interests, attraction of one kind or another. We do naturally click with some people and not with others, don't we? To feel such affection for someone is not wrong and often not something that we can really control. But to treat people differently certainly is. That is favouritism. To huddle around the popular person at the expense of the quiet person, to always talk with the attractive at the expense of the not so attractive. The world operates this way all the time. People are ignored, shunned and despised simply because in the world's eyes they are less, less attractive in one way or another. This must never be the case in the way we treat each other here. We are people who belong to the royal lawgiver, the one who says, love your neighbour as yourself. To show favouritism in our relationships is, deny, is to deny the love that love the royal lawgiver has shown to us. And to do so, as verse 9 uh, says and on, is uh, to bring ourselves under God's condemnation as lawbreakers. And it's no use defending ourselves, I know as a lot of people, a lot of, uh, let's say, good people do today, by saying... The goods outweigh our bads. That won't work. You see, because in verse 10 and 11, um, James says, listen, if you broke the law at one point, you've broken the whole thing. You can't have the goods outweigh your bads thing because God invented the whole lot. God did the whole lot. You broke one, you've broken it. Forget it. It's a bit tough, isn't it? But this paves the way, you see, that reality of becoming lawbreakers, but paves the way 
for his fourth and final supporting reason that James must is to condemn the practice of favouritism to those who profess belief in Jesus. Favouritism by Christians, by believers, forgets our own experience of God's mercy. Verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, having just pointed out the strict standards of the law, as soon as you break the law at one point, you've broken the law, James points out that it's just as well that we Christians aren't judged like that. But we're judged by the law that gives freedom. We are to speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law of freedom. Do you notice the repetition of speak and act there? I wonder if you pick that up. Because that's what we saw last week with the two fundamentals, you see, of genuine religion. Speaking and acting. Speaking and doing. I noted last week that uh, this is... This is the, free, the law of freedom is James' way of referring to the law as fulfilled in Christ. The law that gives freedom is another way of talking about the law of Christ. The law of forgiveness in Christ through his death and resurrection on our behalf. In other words, each of us will face the judgment of God. But for the Christian, this will be a judgment of mercy. A judgment under the merciful law of Christ that recognises our failings but gives freedom through forgiveness of those failings to those who serve him. If we then look forward to expect mercy from God because of Christ on the judgment day, we ought to speak and act, says James, in the same way to others. Those who have experienced mercy themselves are under the imperative also to show mercy to others. To show favouritism to the rich, the powerful, the somebodies in this world is to act with contempt towards the poor, oppressed and nobodies of the world and to be completely without the mercy and compassion that we have received in Christ. James says that if we act in this way without mercy, we simply invite God to act the same way, to judge us without mercy also to judge us according to the strict code of the Old Testament law, which of course would lead us guilty and condemned. But if we show mercy rather than favouritism to the poor in the eyes of the world, then my friends, mercy will be shown to us. The mercy of Christ will triumph over the strict judgment of the law. Well, one thing needs to be said, I think, by way of conclusion. We know, if we are honest, I think, that we've all been guilty of showing favouritism in one way or another to the haves, the gifted, the talented, the attractive, the influential amongst us. And we'll probably be tempted many times in the future to do that again. Our salvation will never depend on being completely just or loving or wise or merciful. We can never earn our salvation. It always depends on mercy the mercy of Christ that we find in his death on the cross as we've celebrated today in the Lord's Supper. 
The key in this passage in James is not that we will never show favouritism, but that we must always make it our aim never to do so. For this is the nature of the God that we serve and have experienced. And when we find that we've erred in this regard, we come back once again to Christ, to where we'll receive that mercy and we ask for forgiveness. And we pray that God will help us through his Holy Spirit so that in every relationship we have with every person we meet and especially in our own assembly here, we treat each other as our glorious Lord Jesus Christ would. With justice, love and mercy. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you that we are people here today who serve our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And what a glory it is to serve him as the one who has shown great mercy uh, to people despite our failings. Lord, we pray that you would help us to act like him here and with the people we meet. Help us not to show favouritism to the haves and reject the have-nots. Sometimes that's ever so subtle. Uh, But we pray that you would strengthen us. We pray that when people come into this assembly, that they may see something uh, completely different from what they see out in the world in the way we treat each other. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.